Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or is that for the good Dear John and Hank? It's a comedy podcast about death, where me and my brother John, we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John. Hi. Hi. How are you? Uh, you know that part in Rushmore? Actually, you don't, because you're not familiar with Rushmore. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't seen Rushmore at least 12 times. How can you even claim to be my brother? Anyway, there's this part in Rushmore where... Uh, one of the characters says, uh, I ain't even here, Sergeant. I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's how I am. I'm not, I'm not really here, to be honest with you. I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'm oh. just like, uh, I'm, I'm working a lot and I am engrossed in my work and I am not really capable of thinking about anything else. How are you? Uh, good. How do I get you here? I need a I need a brother no, for my podcast. No, I, I have to stay in Cheyenne. Unfortunately, I have to stay in Cheyenne, Wyoming, as long as possible because it is the closest that I uh, really ever come to pure happiness. Or actually, it's not like happiness, but pure like fulfillment or engagement oh. or whatever. Like you know how you spend your whole entire life like stuck inside of the the prison of yourself and there's no escaping it and it's sort of like a horror movie in that like you you live inside of a consciousness. Stop trying to make me uncomfortable with the prison of my body, John. I want to not recognize I don't want to don't want to think about All right, it. Yeah, no, I yeah, no, and lots of people lots of people are are able to very successfully not think about it and i actually think that is the correct strategy so we can just move on to the short poem if you'd like uh well first i have to say that i got a comb on an airplane and it's falling apart in my hands and i'm like why do they Mm. even give me this terrible comb why do they make it out of something that can't it's incapable of of holding its combiness second i have to say john how are you feeling about podcon I'm very excited about PodCon, but if we can briefly return to the issue of your comb, I just want to note, Hank, that there are first world problems, and then there are <laughs> the free comb I got for sitting in business class on an international flight did not live up to my expectations problems. 
because I, I know a lot about uh, air travel. And so I know how you get those free combs. And um, if you ever complain about that again, I'm disowning you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess I was complaining about it. I've just I've had it for a while and I've been using it, and and I guess I've been uh, fidgeting with it too much, and now now it's missing a number of times. Well, life is hard and full of disappointments. I'm very excited for PodCon. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, there is a a podcast conference coming up, planned by my brother Hank and some other people. Uh, it's in Seattle, and it's going to be lots of fun. I'm going to be there. Uh, tons and tons and tons of people are going to be there. Yeah. Uh, we're, we have. I decided to reach out to two of my friends in the podcasting world, Travis McElroy and uh, and Joseph Fink of Welcome to Night Vale, and uh, and they were like, "Yeah, yeah, that is a thing that should exist." And then we we got together with the rest of their teams and with the rest of my team, who's here on this podcast with me right now, and uh, we're doing a, an Indiegogo campaign for it, and. It's going well. Yeah, you can uh, you can attend remotely if you don't if you don't want to travel to Seattle and or can't travel to Seattle, but you can also attend mm-hmm. in real life with your physical body in Seattle, and it'll be just like listening to podcasts. Only, you know, like um, instead of spending the time that you listen to podcasts in that sort of like non-sensorial place where uh, audio can take you, you'll have to be with your physical body in a room with a bunch of other people <laughs> with bodies. So, I mean, upsides, upsides, downsides. Uh, and there will be many amazing and weird things happening. But for uh, for uh, remote backers, we'll be sending out all of the stuff that happens in audio form. But for the people who are going to be there in real life, it is nice to do things with your real physical body, right, John? Yes, absolutely. I like my real physical body. Unfortunately, even though you have hurts, no choice, it hurts sometimes. You do have no choice. That is a, that is a bit of a that's a bit of a of a you know. I don't like like. This, isn't it nice sometimes to not have a choice? Because I I hate choices. Oh, so I would like if it was like, what body do you want to be in this morning? That sounds like a lot of work, like stress. I have to think about that now. Right. It's hard enough picking pants. Yeah. No, I, for me, the ideal situation would be if uh, it was like, do you want to be in a body today? And I'd be like, nah, just no body at all. Yeah. No. I'm going to take I'm going to take the pleasures of the senses and just phew, Get rid of them completely. That's not true. You're right. No, it's much more complicated than that. Can I read you a short poem? Okay, sure. Everything is more complicated than you want to make it. Uh, Nothing fits on a bumper sticker. Uh, So uh, we got a short poem suggestion from Crystal. She wanted me to read a poem by Rupi Kaur, so I'm going to. Uh, This one is very short. I am water soft enough to offer life, tough enough to drown it away. Mm. Just a good short poem, Hank. Mm Mm-hmm. Good short poem about water, toughness, and softness. You know, I did think for a tiny bit that the poem that you were reading was about what can and cannot fit on a bumper sticker. And I was like, ooh, that one was interesting. (laughs) I guess actually that's Uh, a pretty good uh, poem. As poems that fit on (laughs) bumper stickers go, that was a pretty good one. Hank, should we answer some questions from our listeners? Uh, Sure, let's do that. This one is uh, from Grace. I thought that it was interesting because Grace has a pretty cool job, but is also worried about it. Dear Hank and John, I'm about to complete my first year working in a somewhat well-known online website covering politics that shall apparently go unnamed. I don't want to do anything else besides the job I'm doing, but I'm struggling with the current war on the media. It seems like the media, in quotation marks, is such an undefined character. What is the media? Am I part of the media? Am I as culpable as the makers of Dredge Report? 
how can I handle when friends or families blame the media for how they receive their news? And most of all, how can I, a fairly low down on the food chain but still with a platform to express my views to others, make a difference in a fairly stubborn political bubble? News and newspapers, and this is news, G-U-N-S, nope, G-N-U-S, oh god. G-U-N-S uh, is just guns. <laughs> I mean, uh, what's a new? Is it like some kind of animal? It is exactly like, it's not just like some kind of animal. <laughs> it is some kind of animal. I found it. It's some kind of animal. Yeah. Anyway, news and newspapers, Grace. Yeah, I mean, Grace, the good news is that hopefully you knew when you were getting into this job what you were getting into because people have hated the media since time immemorial. Like there's been a lack of trust in newspapers since they were newspapers. Yeah, it does. It feels a little like we had a, like a brief moment of everybody was like kind of on board with it. And then and now it's it's like moved back into the being like everything is fake. And and if it doesn't, uh, I don't it, think people think everything is fake. I think people think that everything is shaped right. by <laughs> bias and that they can't trust any facts. But I also think that's largely because people and to an extent, news media organizations aren't doing a good job of differentiating between reporting and analysis. Yeah, it, it has become very clear to me that even I uh, don't have a really great uh, grasp on that. Like, I, I know that the, I know the difference. I know what the difference is. And I know that, like, collecting and disseminating information is extremely valuable. And without that, there would be no conversations worth having. But I mostly don't consume, like, here's what happened. I consume, what does this thing that happened mean? Yeah, I think the great risk, Hank, and we've talked about this a lot, is that in general, a lot of times when people are trying to contextualize the news or present themselves as trying to contextualize the news, what they're really trying to do is to frame the news to meet your expectations or to fulfill the confirmation bias of a particular group or whatever. Like, it's not really about context deep down. It's about framing. Yeah. And people like frames. They want to look at the world through the frames that, you know, kind of confirm what they already believe to be true. And so I understand why that stuff works, but it isn't news. Right. But it is the, it is the thing that you can, you get views on and that, like, that's yeah. where we're at. We, yep. you know, th there's this uh, this problem where if we are looking at what uh, what we should be consuming is different from what we want to consume, and so when it, when it comes down to like, okay, should I read the Wikipedia page on this controversial topic, or should I uh, read what my like what my feed is throwing me about like the take that it most. Uh, makes me feel good about the way that I feel about the world and co most confirms my worldview and my understanding of the people who I like and don't like. I'm going to go with that second thing because reading a Wikipedia page is boring. Um, yeah, but also because going with the second thing allows your mind to indulge exciting and surreal conspiracy theories <laughs> and that feels good, right? Like, there's a reason that everybody believes conspiracy, including me, by the way, believes conspiracy theories that if they were proven to be true would be great news for them. It's because, like, it's an incredibly attractive thing. It's it's like gossip on the largest possible scale. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, we have this tension between what is what is good for us and what feels good in the moment, not just when it comes to news, right? Like, I have it all the time when it comes to McDonald's. I think... 
we live in a world of abundance. We live in a world of abundant information, or at least those of us who are blessed to live it, it in the parts of the world that are defined by abundance. We live in a world of abundant information, abundant food, abundant this, abundant that, where it's not about how much stuff you can have because you can have a lot of stuff. You can acquire a lot of combs uh, <laughs> relatively inexpensively. It, it, and and we, I feel like we have to get better as a species at understanding that more is not always better and what feels good right now is not always what we actually want. Yeah. Um, so what would I say to Grace? I would say we all, especially the people in, in media and whatever that is, and, and of course, like the great thing about blaming the media is that, of course, whenever you say it, you mean the media that you don't like. And so you could say it and... Yeah, so so it doesn't. It's not about you. It's about people having opinions about something that they saw. But trying to find ways to get information across that is both accurate and is is new and uh, is um, contextualized and but also entertaining. And so it's like figuring out ways to do that. That's what's important. Um, and and doing that without resorting to how can I write a headline that sounds misleading so that people will click on it. Because I have gotten really frustrated by this new trend of having really great articles that have really bad headlines um, because 90% of people only read the headline. And so 90% of people come, in, come away with uh, an inaccurate point of view on the situation. Yeah. So don't do that. Well, I think it's hard and I think it's uh, complicated. And I have to say that it's very difficult to go against human nature or the whims of the market forces. Um, so yes. let's move on to another question. Okay. Sorry, Grace. Yeah, I don't think we have any good news on that front, Grace. We feel, we both feel a little discouraged. This question comes from Hanin, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, my name's Hanin, and I'm a big fan of the pod and both you guys. So recently in our Arabic class, we were discussing a poem in which the poet was praising a certain king, saying that he built his kingdom to reach higher than Gemini. And our teacher explained this choice of constellation, aside from it rhyming with the rest of the poem, because, quote, Gemini is the highest constellation. I was taken aback by this statement. Is that true? Can a constellation even be high? Aren't they all a bunch of stars floating in endless space? And also, it made me think, does a poet or a writer have the right to mess with science and actual facts just for the sake of making their work sound beautiful and poetic? P.S. Sorry for any grammatical mistakes. English is not my native language, as you may have probably noticed. I might die at any moment. Hanin. First off, I just want to say that this this email has fewer grammatical mistakes than almost any email we've ever received. Yeah. Yep, you're quite good at that. Also, excellent sign-off. <laughs> excellent sign-off. It's true. You might die at any moment. Uh -huh. Hey, so I liked this question, Hank, because it kind of has questions for both of us. Does uh, a writer have a right to mess with science and actual facts just for the sake of making your work sound beautiful? Mm -hmm. uh, a question that I know a thing or two about. And, um, and then secondarily, is there such a thing as a high constellation? Um... Well, in terms of distance from the Earth, all constellations are, well, for the most part, are made up of stars that are very far away from each other. So they, they oh, appear yeah. close to each other in the plane of the sky, but, um, but they are varying distances away. There are some exceptions to that where, where some, some star clusters uh, in a constellation are actually part of a, a grouping in space, but mostly that is not the case. Um, but there are also, you know, so certainly the higher, like the higher a star is, like the further away from it is, for the most part, that means it's farther away from us. 
Uh, and so the really high constellations are the ones that are made up of stars that you can't even see. Um, Wait, no, but I think our, it's not that like stars near the top of our sky are necessarily further no. away than stars near the bottom of our sky. No, well, and indeed, a star, like where a star is in the sky changes all night long and, and also depending on where you are on Earth. So there is, right. yeah, there is no, there is no star that is, at the top of the sky, first of all, because the sky is a a, a, a dome, uh, and so the top would just be like whatever is, happens to be right above you at the moment, I guess, because it's not like what's on the north side. No, it's but that's that's going to change anyway. Like all that stuff moves around, it moves around all all, all night because this because the uh, Earth is spinning around. It is a matter of perspective. Correct. Um, and then yes. So I don't know if there is, I don't, but I know nothing about constellations, so I cannot tell you if there's something particularly high about Gemini. Uh, maybe there's something. To- Nor can I tell you anything. However, uh, I can tell you that the stars in Orion's belt, there's a very visible constellation from Indiana. I don't know how visible it is in the rest of the world. Uh, <laughs> the, the, Orion, uh, the hunter, there's these three stars that look like they're in a complete like line. And they're very bright in the Indiana sky. Uh, and they are literally hundreds of light years apart from each other. Like, they are further away from each other than they are from us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so mind-blowing to think that. They look inches apart, and they are so, so, so far apart. As well, there's, for the there's second nice, question. Nice visualizations you can experience. There's actually a kind of game, but it's more of just like a simulator thing where you can download this software and you can like go around, like you can go from the earth and you can move off and see what the sky looks like from other places. And it's very cool. That sounds cool. We'll put a, uh, we'll put a link on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. And you don't have to pay to get this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, all the things are free, but you can pay. We won't get mad. Uh, the second question, though, I think is a really interesting one because there are times when I think it's okay to mess with facts, but you've got to know that you're messing with them. Um, so, or that's my theory anyway. I did this uh, in The Fault in Our Stars where I uh, wanted, there was a line I liked that some infinities are bigger than others, which is true. Um but the way that Hazel talks about that is untrue. And I liked the tension of that. Um, I, I think looking back, I would have made it clear that Hazel was wrong somehow, because I think a lot of people walked away from that thinking that there are more numbers between zero and two than there are between zero and one, which is not true. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I wish that I had not accidentally misinformed a large swath of a. Uh, uh, you know, like a generation of American teenagers about um, infinite cardinality, but I did. So no getting around that. I think in general, like you have to work with the world as you find it uh, as a writer. And part of that is trying to be honest about uh, science. But there are also times in my work, uh, and lots of people would say this is a bad thing about them, where I've taken things that are true in science and tried to apply them to other things in life where they may or may not be true. Um, like, you know, like the idea that energy isn't created or destroyed. Well, that, that is not an idea that you can uh, scientifically apply to the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that that is a, that is a common thing that happens where we try to uh, appeal to the the like the you know the things that we know about science, the the realities of science, and we try to apply them to things that don't that aren't actually affected by them. Um, but but in general, yeah. if you, like I I feel like that if you like certainly it has to be internally consistent. So one of the great things about writing is that like you don't have to write inside of our universe with our universe's rules. Like there are other universes you can write inside of. But if you're if your stuff exists inside of this universe, you're going to get called out if you're if you are uh creating an a, a, like a uh a thing that does not exist. But if it's a if it's magical realism, do it. Do it up. Like that's one of the great things about fiction is that we can see like we can imagine universes that are different from ours. And sometimes those things are going to be resonant in ways that are like beyond just how, you know, it affects the story and, and like, you know, beyond just creating a cool world. There's also truths that can be told that way. Um, but it is also, it can, it can be very, uh, uh, it can be a dangerous tool because you, uh, if, especially if you're trying to, um, uh, do more than like create more than beauty. If you're trying to create ideas and you're appealing to ideas that like you're, you're creating truths that aren't actually true, then that's a really good way to sell an ideology that isn't accurate. And I, and I, like, I, I often see that in, in, uh, in, in discourse more than in fiction where people are like, well, I know that this particular example of this, uh, of this thing is made up, but it's indicative of a larger truth. I know that like, I know that what I'm saying right now, I understand that I was caught lying or, or citing something that was fake and I didn't realize was fake, but it's indicative of a broader truth. And, and it resonates with people because they see that, uh, that, that, uh, that the, this is basically true, even if the all of the examples we can find are not accurate. Um, Speak, speaking of which, we have another question from Sarah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, on my flight tonight, the person sitting next to me noticed I am currently reading the Chronicles of Narnia. I told him I'd never read them as a kid and thought I'd give them a try now. He said he loves C.S. Lewis and proceeded to discuss the books with me at length. At the end of our conversation, he asked if I'd ever read Ayn Rand because, quote, if I like the Chronicles of Narnia, I would really enjoy The Fountainhead, especially if you've only read two books. Is this true? Would you consider enjoying the Chronicles of Narnia a solid basis for someone uh, to enjoy The Fountainhead? Sarah, no. No, Sarah, I would not. <laughs> you know, John, I've never read The Fountainhead. I got uh, 16 problems with this guy sitting next to Sarah on the airplane. <laughs> Number list, one. Gonna list them out. Oh, goodness. This is gonna, you gonna be a high quality podcast. Ever interrupt somebody when they're reading a book to tell them that you have also read that book. The only exception to this, and it is a questionable exception, is if you have written the book in question. It is sometimes, only sometimes mm. acceptable, I think, to say, um, FYI, I wrote that book. So. Yeah, I. <laughs> I did once see someone reading The Fault in Our Stars in a bookstore, and I was yeah. like, I, uh, nope, nope, not going to do it. Yeah. Not going to do it. Just, yep. just. No, and that's probably the right call. Oh, I, mean, I think definitely. What would I have done? Hey, my brother wrote that book. Look at me. I'm I cool. would have been like, no, I mean, I might have walked out to them and said, said like, that's a good one. You should buy it. 
you know when I go into Barnes and Noble, I do go to your section and I turn them facing out because it's just just the spine. You don't not get into as much shelf real estate. So I get yeah. rearrange some stuff so that so that your books can face out. I hope you appreciate I, that work that I'm doing. I do for appreciate you. that, but I also always feel like it maybe hurts somebody else who's probably a nice person. But I do appreciate it anyway. I well, yeah, you should thing, you shouldn't do it, but I, I'm allowed because it's my brother. The, the number two thing is if you like the Chronicles of Narnia, it does not mean that you will enjoy the Fountainhead. All it means is that that person has read like an extremely narrow set of fiction. I can probably name like five other books that person has read. Uh, <laughs> probably some Robert Heinlein, Heinlein, however you pronounce his name. I bet, I bet uh, he's read. I bet he's read the Lord of the Rings trilogy probably read the war of the rings trilogy i suspect he's read 1984 but like not in a way that really took it to heart um <laughs> you believe being uh, uh, ugh, mm. fahrenheit 451 um i don't know if you know this hank lord of the flies i don't know if you know this about me but i hate 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 the fountainhead i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it I hate. I know a lot of people listening out there right now don't hate it, and I'm sorry because I probably am making you feel like not great. And I'm sorry. I don't want to make you feel that way, but it's just. I just hate it. I just. I. I, I think. I think the world would be better if it didn't exist. Uh, and I think the ideas in it are a vintage example of what you just described, where you create a fictional world. Uh, in which uh, a bunch of things that are not actually true are true. And then because people feel like it reflects something true about their experience uh, that is based on the idea that they are somehow special or unique and the world is is aligned against them, but it's not aligned against other people. It's just... Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, uh, yeah... I've got another question, John. It comes from Becky, who asks, Dear Green Brothers, I'm a The you- <laughs> third thing I don't like in this situation. John, can you skip the, like the middle uh the middle thirteen things and skip straight to sixteen? Yeah, but I'm starting a spin-off podcast <laughs> um called Issues I Have with the Guy Sitting Next to Sarah. Right, well, I I'm also excited to hear that. This one is from Becky, who asks, Dear Green Brothers. I'm a U.S. citizen working in Mexico for the year with an NGO, and it's recently come to my attention that my Mexican colleagues were taught and firmly believe that there are five continents, Africa, America, Asia, Europe, and Oceania. And I, on the other hand, I and the other U.S. citizens in the office were taught uh, and believed until recently that there were seven continents, Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America, Although this was an earth-shifting discovery for me, I can appreciate that continents are... That was only six. That was only six. But I didn't say all of them. You didn't say all no. of them, but it's kind of better that way <laughs> because it points to how made-up continents are, so just go on. <sighs> although, this was, although this was an earth-shifting discovery for me, I can appreciate that continents are a social construct, so my question is this. Is there a right social construct to teach? Yes. Oh, there is? Yes. First off, I I think it's crazy that we differentiate between Europe and Asia when they are clearly, obviously, inarguably one (laughs) continent. Yeah, the the, I mean, it's interesting that that uh, the Mexican colleagues also think that Europe and Asia are separate separate continents. I think that there's really there's really only one argument to be made, John. In my opinion, yeah, there is there is one continent. No. Do you, does can there used to be one continent? I agree, but now there are two continents. 
<laughs> I am I'm willing to accept two because there are two really okay. big. But if you look from the top, all that stuff's really close together. Yes, but we don't look from the like, top because nobody lives up at the top because it's so cold. I mean, it's getting warmer every year, but it's still fairly cold. I, I'm just saying I just flew from America to Europe, and I don't think I saw the ocean the whole time. Mm, I'm gonna just go ahead and call BS on that one. <laughs> uh, maybe it was a cloudy day, but you flew over the ocean, I promise. There are I flew over some limited swaths right. of ocean. So the but two continents, just to be clear, together. the two continents, this is like my argument that every everything is essentially a shade of brown. Um, the two... <laughs> That's that's why I feel like there's one continent. I mean, I, I'm concerned that I'm undermining my authority so much that a bunch of people are going to go out and read The Fountainhead. Or alternately, that I hate The Fountainhead so much that it's going to make people want to read it. Maybe I should just ignore it, because actually, the opposite of love, Hank, is not hate. It's apathy. Anyway. Mm. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there are two continents. There is Afro-Eurasia, which is obviously one continent. And then there is the Americas, which is obviously one continent. Now, I realize this leaves out a bunch of places like Hawaii, Australia, New Zealand. Those places are not, they, they just don't count. Well, no, it's not that they don't count. Do you have to be on a continent? No, Greenland. No. Uh, nobody argues that Greenland is a continent, but it is a large landmass that contains people. Iceland is not a continent. Neither is Australia. Slash, I mean, I, I, I understand well, yeah, the I mean, Oceania the argument you because to, you want to include all the people, but let's... You can't include all the people because we're talking yeah. about weird social constructs. There's two continents, Afro-Eurasia. May okay. There's three continents: Afro-Eurasia, Oceania. I'm 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 backing down on Oceania. Oceania. I don't even know how to say it. It's such a made-up idea that it, I don't even know how to say the word. I'm back. Okay. Yes, I'm backing so, down. But there are. Uh, let's let's establish. Yeah. Are there people who are not on continents? Yes. Yes, Hawaiians. And astronauts. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, actually, Hawaii is technically part of Oceania. Because so Oceania, it's just me. like it's all inclusive of the oceans. I think it might include some. I think it might include Madagascar. Um, <laughs> yeah, Oceania, Madagascar, Hawaii, and Greenland. Well, <laughs> that's what Oceania. Yeah, Madagascar. Yeah, definitely <laughs> Greenland is in Oceania. I don't think you'll find any disagreement about that. The question is, are the are the Caribbean islands in Oceania? <laughs> Like, what about Bermuda? Bermuda is, like, I, I went, I've never been to Bermuda, but I was, like, I, I was thinking maybe it would be fun to go to Bermuda. I would like to go on a beachy vacation. And so I was, like, looking on Google Maps all, you know, just, like, south of Florida where all the Caribbean islands are. And I was, like, man, I cannot find Bermuda anywhere here. That's because it's nowhere near there. It's off, like, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. It's up there where the Bermuda Triangle is. First off, I have no, I, I mean, I thought the Bermuda Triangle was just south of Jamaica. Nope. It's up by Bermuda. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the, okay, first off, just not to correct you, Hank, but the Bermuda Triangle, one point of it is in Bermuda, the other point is in South Florida, and the third point is in Puerto Rico. So, in fact, a number of Caribbean islands are inside the Bermuda Triangle. I'm not as much of an idiot as you would like to have me believe. However, Bermuda itself is, like, basically, a, a, it's it's basically one of, like, Maine's outer islands. I mean, it is much closer to Canada it yeah, than it is it to Jamaica. It sounds like when you say Bermuda, you're like, oh, yeah, this is got to be at the but i mean i think it is fairly warm and tropically because it's in the middle of the ocean and it's really far off the coast it, it's a weird thing yeah, it 
it seems like one of the locations that would have been uh, mentioned in the classic Beach Boys song Kokomo. Uh, indeed, Bermuda is the first one in the list. Oh, it is. It is mentioned. Bermuda, Jamaica, girl, I want to take you. I believe is the. No, I don't no, know. no, is no, that, no. Did I just violate copyright? Uh, no, it's not. It doesn't. It's B- Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, pretty mama. Is but it's the second one. Oh. It's the second one. <laughs> okay. There's no, no. It's it begins Aruba, Aruba Jamaica. Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take you to Bermuda. Bermuda Bahama. is third. It's third. So then the second stanza. And then Key Largo, Montego, baby, why don't we go? Um, is there really a place off the Florida Keys called Kokomo? Because there's a place about 40 minutes north of me called Kokomo, Indiana, <laughs> and I would not describe it as tropical. <laughs> I don't think that there is a real place called Kokomo in in the. Uh, there is a there is a, a sandal, Sandals K is a privately owned island mm-hmm. in in Jamaica that was formerly called Kokomo Island, but I think after the song, uh, there's a there's a you think I so? I think I think I'm gonna check. Uh, formerly called Kokomo Island, uh, the, was originally uh, named after the uh, the song that was not written by the Beach oh. Boys, just performed by them. Uh, the, the, the inspiration for the song was a poolside bar in Isla Morada in the Florida Keys. So, Co- who wrote the song? Uh, John Phillips, Mike Love, Terry Melcher. And Scott Mike McKenzie? Love is in the beach. Mike Love is in the Beach Boys. Okay, for the record. Well, what about Terry? Mel- I don't know. Is is John Phillips of? Uh, isn't John Phillips in like Peter Paul and Mary or something? Probably not in Peter Paul and Mary since he's, he's not named he's, Peter Paul or Mary. No, he was he was uh, in the Beach Boys and also the Mamas and the Papas. The Mamas and the Papas. Yeah. I was close. Okay, I was close. All right. But he was so, not in the Beach Boys. To, he was just associated with the Beach Boys, according to this Wikipedia right. page. His name is right. not Ryan, so I don't know why I'm on his Wikipedia page right now. Yeah. The, anyway, the, the the best part about this whole bit, Hank, is that literally nobody who listens to this podcast remembers <laughs> the Beach Boys song Kokomo, except for you and me, because it came out in 1989. So, like... Uh, and also, I don't think it was that big of a hit. I think our parents just liked it a lot. So, sorry I was, to everyone was, who's listening. I cannot, first of all, I cannot believe that it came out in 1989. I always assumed that it was much earlier than that because most of the Beach Boys stuff was much earlier than that. Second, it was me and my girlfriend in third grade. It was our song. Was it really? It was. That's pretty cute. Yeah. I gotta I say, are. that's pretty cute. You know, my <laughs> first song, my first song with a girl was that uh, Tiffany song. Mm, um, I think we're alone now. Well, I think we're alone it's now, which I owned Tiffany. on vinyl. Oh, yeah. Probably not. Yeah, I know that was a cover. I owned that on vinyl. My first two vinyl records were Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is a properly good album, and uh, Tiffany's I Think We're Alone Now, which um, does not hold up that well. Uh, I do remember you owning that record. John is not making this up. My, do you remember what my first uh, vinyl was, John? I 100% know what your first vinyl was. I don't know if you know, but I'm 100% positive. Do you want to say it at the same time? Uh, sure. Okay. Three, two, one. The Chuck E. Cheese album. Oh, you're right. It It probably was the Chuck E. Cheese album. It was 100% uh, Chuck E. Cheese 45 that played like Happy Birthday on one side. (laughs) It might have even been Showbiz Pizza. Uh, It played Happy Birthday on one side. But it wasn't the usual Happy Birthday song. It was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I think it's your birthday. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I think it's your birthday. Is that what they say? I was... uh, I was I was thinking that it was the Supergirls album, but that was that was later. 
which was like a collection of a bunch of uh, like girl rock bands from the 60s and 70s on two uh, two two LPs. Yeah, that was actually a pretty was good really album. Good. It was good. It was uh, like, was, I think that Pop Papa got it for me off the Time Life Time Life subscriptions. Quick, uh, quick, quick follow up question. <laughs> what question this are we really answering? for people? Really for people who were born uh, significantly before 1980. Like uh, we, we've really made this. Uh, we've we've limited our the scope of our audience dramatically with this last conversation but there is one continent and kokomo is not on it <laughs> oh that that's how we got here the continents <laughs> oh my god oh my god i wish like it's, I, I wish i could get a diagram of the series of sentences that led to this moment <laughs> well uh, we'll we, we'll work through it do you do you want to move on or can we just admit that that continents are a made-up idea and before uh, we move on i just have to quickly say okay. that uh, today's podcast is brought to you by uh sandals mm. sandals <laughs> secretly sponsoring this podcast can we maybe get 378 free sandals days hank no thank you honestly <laughs> i do not i do not have the time or interest uh uh, for any sandals days, this podcast is also brought to you by the media. The media. You don't like us for some reason. Hank, I'm just going to stop you right there and say that I love a good all-inclusive vacation, and I do not like you talking smack about them, and I suspect when your kids get older, you'll like it too. And of course, today's podcast is also brought to you by Oceania. Oceania, a word that John is trying to learn how to pronounce. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Subpar Combs. They're not very good. <laughs> but they were free. Yeah. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. All right, John, I got one more question for okay. you. It's about it's about me. Yeah, I hope that's okay. Sure. Uh, this question comes from Lily, who asks, "Hank, what are amber lamps? I love your song, Amber Lamps, but uh, it, it's it's so relaxing. But I had absolutely no clue what it was about, so I looked up what are amber lamps, <laughs> and I found a very odd meme. Did you write an entire song about a meme?" The meme was created in 2010, so it's entirely possible that your album, Ellen Hardcastle, which came out in 2011, could have a song about a meme? I'm very confused and would like an answer. Forever confused and obsessed with books, Lily. Yep. That's all I got to say. That is, that is where, yep, yep, yep. 
It is a it is a nice, calm, soothing song that is about a meme. Yeah, Hank wrote a song about a meme. It's not it's not even really his first song about a meme. I would say it's no. like it's it's one of the lesser known memes, and it's also one of Hank's lesser known <laughs> songs. It is, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I was finishing that album, and I was like, I really feel like there should be one more song in this album, and then I was like. Uh, like, okay, well, I guess if something strikes me and then it, it struck me and I recorded it and I put it on there and I did it all in an afternoon by myself. So uh, it's 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 a bit of a departure on that album. It's like suddenly we're, what are we doing now? But yeah, it's about a meme. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all right. Speaking of uh, what are we doing now? Uh, it's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hank, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Oh, the news from Mars. It's bad news from Mars, John. Mm. So you'll remember that Donald Trump, our president of my country, yep. uh, said that he wanted, he would like to see, and he was was rooting for and was excited about getting uh, astronauts on Mars during, quote, during my first tour term or at worst, during my second yeah. term. Uh, so NASA has responded. <laughs> They're not going to do that. That's basically the, the, NASA like officially the official has said NASA response no. is yeah. nah. Yeah, they, they, have, they have said the White House asked us to look at the plan that we have today and see if we can keep going on that current plan, said the acting administrator, Robert, Robert Lightfoot, who is what an amazing name for an administrator of NASA. Uh, they have asked us, they have not, they have not asked us to go to Mars by 2024. It's terrible news for me, John. Uh, but it's confirmed that Donald Trump was like, all right, jump over this 50 foot high building. And NASA was like, uh, can we have like, I don't know, a trillion dollars. And they were like, that's not how this works. And they're like, well, no, we can't, we cannot unaided jump over a 50 foot tall building. Yeah, I mean, that's not a huge surprise, Hank, that uh, Donald Trump said that he was going to be able yeah, to do I'm something that he's he's sure. struggling to uh, to execute. It's kind of <laughs> been a theme of the presidency so far. Uh, the news from AFC Wimbledon, at, well, Hank, it's, it's the silly season, as they call it. It's the off season. Uh, we've got two oh. long, brutal, actually more like three long, brutal, uh, horrible months of uh, of this. Uh, however, the silly season kicked off in earnest uh, earlier today, Hank, when a news report came out uh, in which Wimbledon manager Neil Ardley uh, said that he, quote, might have to do some wheeling and dealing uh, in order to improve the squad. Uh, not a lot of money at AFC Wimbledon. It's not a uh, particularly well-funded team owned by its fans, as I might have mentioned a few times, uh, not owned by some uh, billionaire. So, it's going to be mm-hmm. uh, difficult to improve the squad, but it's obviously also necessary to improve the squad due to the lack of a goal of the month in April, but due, due to no goals. Uh, so uh, that might mean some selling, might mean some players uh, will get sold. That is at least the takeaway that a lot of people on Twitter have is that players might need to get sold in order for other players to be bought. Mm. Uh which would be a shame because I really like the current AFC Wimbledon squad, but I'll tell you what I also like, staying in League One. Uh, yes, me too. You weren't listening, but that's okay. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> uh, Hank, what did we learn today? Oh, we learned that Gemini is so high. <laughs> it's so high in the sky. <laughs> 
We learned that uh, Bermuda, Jamaica, Madagascar, Australia, New Zealand, Greenland, and uh, Antarctica are all in the same continent. Of Oceania. We also learned uh, that Hank and John uh, don't ask us about the Fountainhead. Yeah, just, just don't bring it up. And lastly, <laughs> we learned that uh, Hank's first album uh, was a 45 oh. from either Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz Pizza. It was definitely Showbiz Pizza because we didn't have a, sh- a Chuck E. Cheese back then, John. It was all you know, Showbiz. We grew up in different times, guys. It was yeah. hard out there. That's right. And we listened We listened to the Beach Boys later hits. <laughs> all right, it's time for us to go record our uh, weekly uh podcast this week in ryan's which uh you can get over at patreon.com slash dear hank and john don't feel obligated you're not missing much um but if you want to you can sign up for it we appreciate it and it helps us uh fund complexly shows like scishow and crash course and the art assignment and explanations and lots of other stuff so thanks to everybody who donates uh through the patreon thank uh Thanks to all of you for listening, and uh, I think Hank is going to read the credits now. Yes, this podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our social media manager is Victoria Bongiorno. Our music is by the great Gunnarola. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Hank Green and at John Green. We love to see your tweets. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.